Hello, I'm James. Hi, I'm Jimmy. Welcome to A Job Done Well, the podcast about the world of work and how to improve the daily grind. Right then, good morning, Mr. Barber. How's your week been? Uh, not bad, not bad. I think the um, lot of the, the week for me was you and I went and visited an old boss of ours, David Pitt. Yeah. We'll, we'll come back to why we liked him so much on, on our leadership episode in a, in a few weeks' time. But yeah, Pitty was one of the, the great bosses that I had. And I can correlate a lot of my success at work with how well I got on with my boss. Yeah, very true. Fortunately, I was working for you at the time, so I can't say the same. My week, some clown reversed a delivery van into my garden wall. So then I had to take my garden wall off the street because it collapsed on the street. So I was there for about an hour with a hammer and chisel breaking up bits of garden wall. And now I'm talking to me, insurance. So anyway, something to look forward to. On a positive note, the insurance company is an insurance company that I used to work for. So um, if they don't do a stellar job, they'll be very lucky and get a call from me. Anyway, so what are we talking about this week? Well, this week, we are going to talk about finding the best ways to improve your performance, your, your performance as an individual, your teams, your organisation. Uh, and we've got some really interesting insights to, to share on how you go about finding those opportunities. Yeah, I'm always a bit worried when you say we've got some really interesting insights. Maybe the people who are listening to this ought to decide whether they are A, interesting and B, insightful. Haven't you heard, James, if you t- keep saying things... People believe it's true. Yeah. So keep saying it's interesting. People will think it's interesting. Yeah, that's a bit like me looking in the mirror every morning and saying, my God, you're handsome. Anyway, yeah, moving on taken. very swiftly. So we're going to talk about the continuous improvement mindset and how it helps improve performance. So it's an interesting thing, isn't it, right? Continuous improvement. I shouldn't say this because I am one. Isn't that just for process geeks then? That's, the, that's one of the things that I think... A lot of leaders, organisations let themselves down because that's where they think it is. I just don't buy it. I think it really unlocks major, major opportunities to improve. And I think you have to improve. I think the world around you keeps improving. I don't think it's possible to stay still. And what do you mean by continuous improvement? So I think for me, it's, you know, if you remember the British cycling analogy, they, they were always looking for improvements, always looking for those small incremental gains and that was kind of central to Dave Brailsford's philosophy. Yeah we know how that ended up. I don't think that anybody from Britain had run the Tour de France in 110 years and then I think we had was it five winners in six years? So that's that really epitomizes it for me is always looking how you're doing things to see if there's a, a better way of doing it. Yeah and it's interesting a lot of people think continuous improvement is small stuff and therefore it is not strategic and people get confused between small and strategic if you can do deliver a lot of small stuff and make a lot of you will make a lot of impact to your business oh yeah i mean we both firmly believe you know you can get transformational results by optimizing what you currently do you don't need to go for big programs big changes to systems and stuff like that and that's key for me is it it can have a massive impact on your business and, and again, back to the, um, the, the sports analogies. In, in every sport, people train and practice and try and get better. There's, there's no, no sport that they don't do that. Whereas at work, in business, we, we tend not to have that mindset in the same way. Yeah. Um, 
and my also my management heroes w edwards deming but he used to say that you should have improvement in all processes of all the all the time but of course the only way you can do that is if you get everybody engaged in doing it because most organizations have a improvement team but they'll only be focused on one thing so i think the real trick is how do you get everybody in your organization always focusing on what they can do better and there's this whole thing, isn't there, about having two jobs. One job is to do your job, but the other job is to do your job better. I think the other th point about engagement is it's great to get improved results, but the, the fact you're engaged in driving performance and improving performance does give you greater satisfaction in the job because you feel like you're achieving something. Nobody comes to work wanting to do a bad job. Yeah, no, absolutely. So... Before we get into kind of our views on how you go about this, what are some of the uh, the pitfalls that get in the way of improving? Uh, well, the biggest problem is the hippo. Have you come across the hippo in management? No, tell me about it. Well, the hippo is the highest paid per person's opinion. And quite often what you'll find, yeah, is you go into a meeting and the, the boss, the senior guy, will say what needs to be done and everyone will nod and look wise and you'll do that. But what makes that person know exactly what needs to be done? Yeah, I think that, that is, we'll come back to that a bit more, but I think that is one of the real opportunities is where does the knowledge and information and insights come from? Is it a top-down thing or is it a bottom-up thing? So, yeah, I, I like that one. Hippo, I'll be using that one again. Yeah, you were one for I've been a, I, yeah. I was going to say, I've, I've been a hippo many times. As you many have been would. that beast. I think another couple of things that you often do is... When you're looking at performance, you, you tell people what they want to hear. And you sort of think, my, my boss wants me to tell him that how great things are. And we used to, we used to have teams of analysts in previous organizations that were there, uh, in their view, just to tell people how great they were. Not yeah. to tell how they could get better, just, yeah, this is why you're doing a great job. So it's really important to focus on what's not working and working out what you can do about it. But being open-minded to, to it is, is key. The, um, the other thing that features here, of course, is this whole thing about wanting certainty. So if you want to change something, you're going to have to test it. And if you want to test it, then something could go wrong. And of course, people don't want to hear that. They want to know that they, things will go right. And there's this real fear of looking stupid. I think what underpins a lot of those risks in achieving that kind of continuous improvement mindset it comes down to ego. So a lot of those things we just talked about are underpinned by people's egos. I know the right answer. I want to hear how great I am. I'm not going to test things out. I want to not look stupid. So managing ego and understanding that is, is key. But why doesn't the senior person know what all the answers are then? What, what stops them from knowing? We'll come on to that in, in some of the ways that we would go about looking at improvements. I think often... The senior people have to spread themselves thinly. They have to get very confident in having the right answers and having the strength of conviction in their opinions. And frankly, the old adage about ivory towers, they can be quite removed from the actual work itself uh, and therefore don't always see the problems or engage with people who actually know the answers, those who are doing the work. Yeah, there's that old adage, isn't there? Let me see if I get it right. The more senior person, the less they know about a lot of things, as opposed to the more junior person, the more they know about a few things. Yeah, absolutely. So if you really want to understand what's going on, you need to go to the shop floor and work it out. We've got some um, real ideas about how you look at 
areas for improvement. So should we go through those? Yeah, time. So which comes first? Where would you go looking first? Well, it being you, James, uh, we've got to go to, uh, to data, haven't we? Well, I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're looking for data, well, have you got any good stories about data and where that's helped you find out what's going on? Well, yeah, actually, um, I think and I think this lines up with your, your bit around the, the kind of hippo concept. So I was running a, a sales function some years ago, and two of my analysts, Stu and Andy, are fantastic guys. They approached me about a concept they have about how you improve sales performance. Basically, my idea was you take your best salespeople and you give them the, some of the toughest nuts to crack because yeah. they, can, they can do it. They can crack nuts. Stu and Andy had done this analysis and said you actually did the complete opposite. So you took the best salespeople and put them on the easiest opportunities and the less skilled salespeople and put them on the toughest opportunities. And they showed me in the numbers how the percentages grew so much greater by doing it the, that way. And actually, I took a bit of convincing, but those guys uh, got, got me thinking that way. And then we went out and tested it. And we, sure enough, we saw sales rates go through the roof. Quite often when you start to look at the numbers, it's counterintuitive. You yeah. get a totally different view of the world. But, you know, they, they had to push me a little bit to be open-minded about that. You are the data genius. What would be your key hints and tips for looking at data? And so I think there are three things. Number one, we've talked about it, purpose. If you know what your purpose is, are you measuring against that purpose? Do you know whether you're achieving what you wanted to achieve or not? The second thing is, if you're not achieving it, well... It really is about hypothesis testing. So think of the reasons why you're not achieving it. Run some tests to see if that's the case or not. Um, and then go back and see, well, did the test that you do change the measures the way you expected to do? The really interesting thing for me, I think, is variation. So when you look at anything, you know, how what the sales rate is, how good somebody is at processing insurance claims, how long it takes to see a patient, whatever it is, You'll find that some people do it a lot quicker and some people do it a lot slower. I used to make I used to make Mars bars for a living, you remember that. But there was always variation in how heavy those sweets were when they came off the lines. There's variation everywhere. And the real trick is to look at that variation and try and understand what is causing it and minimise it. So that you end up at the place you want to be, what's your best outcome? And so those, I suppose, are the three things that I think you really should look at. Number one, measure your purpose. Are you achieving it or not? Number two, if you're not, do some testing, but hypothesis test and do that against the data so you can see if you're getting better or worse. And then the third one is really understand the variation in your system and use that in your favour to work out what the best things are, what, how, when your system is working best and see what you can do to get to that point. I think everyone who's worked with you heard the, uh, the classic law, the sort of problem we're trying to solve here. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go, data, there's the first thing. I think the next thing that's worth talking about is so data in itself is interesting but it doesn't give you the solution the next thing you need to do is you need to to go and see now there was a television program a few years ago where sir john harvey jones what did they call him the troubleshooter or something like that but he was really good at looking at organizations and trying to work out why they weren't working and he was looking at the nhs and he found out the bottleneck, the thing that was causing people to have to wait was the use of the operating theatres. So what did he do? He went down and stood in an operating theatre to work out what was going on. And um, when he did that, he found that there was no operating going on. The operating theatre was absolutely empty. 
nobody there. So the most important bit of the process, nobody was there working on. And he asked why, and he found out it's a bit like meetings. People would turn up late to operations. The surgeons might turn up late. If the surgeons turned up late, you'd have a load of nurses standing around and people, clinicians waiting. So then the clinicians and the nurses thought, well, the doctor's going to be five minutes late, so they won't bother turning up until five minutes. And then, of course, the doctor would turn up on time and there would be nobody there. And you just got into this horrible spiral of people not being there. It's really interesting. He only understood that once he'd gone and looked to see what was going on. So there's an idea for you. Once you find out or you think you understand what the problem is, get off your bum, go and have a look, see if you can find out. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things I think you probably helped me with quite early on in my, my career is go and see what's actually happening rather than what you think is happening. A couple of ways of doing that when you get down to work, see the people who are actually doing the work. Make sure that you put people at their ease because naturally, even though you don't think you are, often people on the shop floor will find you intimidating just because of your job role yeah so you have to find ways of uh you know putting people at their ease and, and also people then need to see action from what they talk to you about so they don't have to fix everything but you have to give people the confidence that if they talk to you about some stuff that's getting in the way of them being able to do their job and deliver on the organization's purpose you need to take some action on the back of that oh absolutely and you'll find that once people start to open up, they've got a thousand and one things that they can tell you about. But it's really important that they know that you aren't coming to look over their shoulder. Yeah. You're coming to look at the system itself and what's happening within the system. Because yeah. if they think that you are checking up on them, they will clam up and they won't tell you a damn thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything else you think that we should talk about in terms of putting people at their ease? One of the ones I always found was talk to people about what they're you know, their favourite example of whatever you're doing. You know, everyone has a favourite case, a favourite claim, a favourite piece of work, a favourite project. You get them onto that, people often do open up. Um, and you do find out all sorts. Another good example I, I found out when I was on the front line, I talked to one of the um, handlers about what's their favourite claim. They, they talked about this this claim that they'd worked on. And now they had to do a really complicated calculation to work out what this customer had lost. And I said to them, like, yeah, how long did that take you? It took a whole month to do this calculation right. once I had the evidence for it. And they told me how much it, the, the loss was. It's very large. But the, the, the organization had a limit of what they were paying out. So I said, at what point did you know that it was going to be above the maximum limit? She said, oh, about 10 minutes. So 10 minutes, she knew what the customer was going to get. Yeah. Still carried on doing the calculation because that's the way the system was set up and spent the rest of the month doing that calculation. Then it had to be checked by somebody who spent a week checking it. All the time, the customer's waiting for their money. She knows exactly how much it is. I think that that shows a couple of things. One, it shows how the system was holding back that individual and not really serving the customer. We use that as an example to talk to our board about, to try and get them to understand how the system was set up and, and mandate change, which, which they did. Yeah, and you get to that point where things need to be technically correct and somebody's been given the job of making sure things are technically correct but it just misses the point which is am I going to pay this customer I had one a very similar one um, somebody well we used to load data in an organization and somebody messed up they passed a file which they shouldn't have passed and there was a huge sort of backing out exercise it was all a bit painful so I went and had a look and 
found out what this person had to do when they were loading data. And it transpires that when they loaded the file, they got given a report, and this report was about 30 pages long, and they had to look through this report and discover all the things which were wrong or right with the file, and then load it. Whereas when they explained it to us, it was really easy. We just looked at it and said, well, just show the bits which are wrong on the report, and then it will make life ever so much easy for all concerned. But if you're sitting in a position of power, you know, or if you're all powerful and you're sitting, you know, up in the board of directors, you don't see these things unless you go and look. So, oh, and whilst I'm thinking on another story, another story. And another one. Another you're one. like Columbo. I am. Just one uh, more thing. Just one more thing. I'm going to go all Japanese on you. You know, the manufacturing guys like to go all Japanese. There's this thing, oh, there's a guy called Taichi Ono, and he came up with this thing called an Ono Circle. I should have one as well. We call it a Law of the Circle. But, but the idea with an Ono Circle is what you do is you stand in the middle of a factory and you paint a circle and um, where you stand and then you've got to stand there for an hour and in that hour you've just got to sit there with your clipboard and write down everything you see that goes wrong and then after you've done that you then have to go away and fix them so it's just about standing and looking understanding anyway so, so that's so we've covered data going and seeing stuff what else would you uh, recommend people look at well i think the next thing is to take an external view and that external view could be either as a customer or as a competitor. How would they do things differently? Now, the classic example of this is if you wanted to go faster, who's good at going fast? And everyone will say, oh, Formula One. But if you look at what Formula One do, they are very cute in the way that they do pit stops and things like that. But what do you learn from that that would affect the way in which you process? The other example I've got is the whole thing about fire brigades. So they're pretty good at getting where they need to be when they need to be. When you look at fire brigades, particularly in inner cities, they quite often have motorcycles and cars. And that seems a bit pointless, right? If you've got a fire, you need a, I don't know why they match these things where a 20-ton truck turning up, not some prat on a motorcycle. But the reality is what they're very good at is triaging the type of incidents they got and then sending a motorcycle with a fire extinguisher or a car or whatever it may, may be because it makes life an awful lot quicker. So there's something, you know, if you understand your demands, you can get really cute about how you deal with it and you can process it an awful lot quicker. But you can learn that by looking at what a fire brigade does. It's an interesting point, but nearly every organisation I've worked in at some point has said we're too internally focused and we don't look and learn. And I think that's your point is looking externally learning from both within your market so what are your you know what's your market doing what are the competitors doing um but also looking outside your market who's the best at the things that you're trying to do or similar things and learning from from those so i think there's the kind of external perspective i think the other one is looking at customers and what your customers telling you both looking at the quantitative and qualitative ways of looking at these things so what does the data tell you but also what do customers tell you firsthand and one of the really impactful things I did was at one organization we did some focus groups where we got customers to talk about their experience and when you really listen to them both in terms of how they went about losing money and then how they experienced making a claim with you um, that was both impactful in terms of learning how you improve but also linking it back to the purpose so this is why we do these things to try and help these people who's lost their life savings so 
I think both looking at the data in terms of your, your customers and what that tells you, satisfaction, NPS, all those sorts of things, but also listening to your customers. Another good example, I do some voluntary work and through that I've got a friend I visit who's 81 years old. Yeah, He has medical challenges as you have at sort of age, but he has so much stress caused to him by the inability to order his medicine and to make appointments with his doctor simply because all the systems and processes are digital. So there are multiple ways you can reorder your medicine, none of which are open to him because he can't use digital, he can't use an app, he can't use a website, and they don't let you do it by phone, which is what he can do. Or he can walk miles and go into the the surgery and, and order his medicine. It's a good example of where a process is hugely efficient Um, but it doesn't really work for a big portion of the customers that will be using it. Yeah. Um, There is that whole thing, isn't there? Complaints, they are a gift from the gods. Whereas some organizations, you know, customer complaints are things to be hidden and not talked about. Really understanding what your customers think is important is a really valuable lesson. I think the final area we we touched on um, a bit earlier is a lot of the knowledge and insights about what gets in the way of doing the job successfully sits with your people. So James, I know you've got some really good methods for unlocking the ideas that people have. My favourite story here was there's this whole sort of view that if people work on the shop floor, you have to beat them with a stick and they will only do the bare minimum. And I went to big offices out in the West Midlands And we sat down and we talked to the cleaning lady. And she got really agitated and excited about her cleaning trolley and how she could get the right materials for her cleaning trolley. And she didn't have to sign chitties. There was stuff there for her to lay her hands on. Because as she said it, you know, she wanted to do a good job. She didn't have time to be hanging about. She wanted to get on and clean the offices. So understanding what your people want is really important. There's this thing called a quality circle or General Electric made it really popular in the, I think probably in the 80s when they used to run this process called Workout, which was all about taking work out of the system. But all you have to do is be clear on, would you believe, purpose. Once you've decided what purpose is, then get people to write down on post-it notes all the tasks that they do on a daily basis and then take those post-it notes and shove them into two piles. One pile is the stuff which contributes to the purpose and then the other pile is the stuff which really just gets in the way of the purpose. And by doing that, you can get people to be really clear about their daily work and whether or not it helps or hinders. But once you've got that pile of information, that's really quite valuable because you can then start to work on minimising that. And of course, if you minimise that, then you take work out of the system, make things a little more productive. Now, the other thing I think people will say is, yeah, but James, you don't understand. We're really busy. We haven't got time to get people to focus on these things because they should be focusing on the customer. We've got piles of work to do. But actually, if you take that sliver of time, take the pain and improve something, then you can create a sliver of time and then you can reinvest that in improving something else. And it's almost like compound interest. You can spiral up the way. So getting your employees to be clear about what gets in their way is really full stuff. So from that, I'd say... Engage your people, they'll have the ideas. Get them focused on what gets in the way of of them delivering their purpose and create the time and the right environment for them to open. Because I think that one of the challenges is sometimes people feel that 
again, back to the earlier point, you're being critical of them. Whereas if they're clear on their purpose, it's the system around them that is getting in the way. So how do you change the system? They know how to do it. Yes. Yeah, so does that mean the system's more important than the people, Jimmy? Is that what you're no, saying? No, because people have the answers. Yeah, is that right? Going back to one of the other things we talked about is this whole thing about experience um, and getting an external view on things. So how many times have you seen a job advert where they said, you know, must have industry experience, must know about insurance, must know about banking? Whereas quite often getting somebody in with a different perspective is the most important thing you could do. On the people side of things, James, you know, have you got a, a good example to bring to life that process? Yeah, oh, it's a bit technical. I used to work for an insurance company and it all gets a bit legal, but the way these things are quite often managed is there will be the industry portal. People shove claims into the portal and pull claims out of the portal. And when we sat down and talked to the people who were handling these claims, they told us that the thing that got in the way for them was that things would time out in the portal and, you know, they hadn't responded within 28 days and then it would all go a bit peak tongue and cost a lot of money. And once we started listening to that, it became really easy to give them a list of what needed to be worked when. And um, then they worked on that and they managed to save millions of pounds. But we would never have known that was the issue if we hadn't sat down and listened to them and worked out what it was that they needed. There's this lovely acronym which I think most managers should learn, which is WAITS. And what WAITS stands for is why am I talking? So I know what I think. What I'm really interested in is what those other people think. So in summary, hopefully you've understood continuous improvement mindset is something that A, you just must do and B, unlocks outstanding results. Some of the pitfalls are getting in the way and then the four areas where we would look at data, go see stuff, get the external perspective and talk to your people. And I think it's really important to get that combination of those four areas. It's not just pick the one that you're most comfortable with or that's easiest. It's look at those four dimensions. That will give you a far superior answer to where the gold is in them their hills. Yeah. And, because I like to have the last words, but and, Always. Um, just admit you've got a problem. Because if you don't, if you think everything's rosy and you're too busy telling that story, you'll never find anything to fix. Well, as ever, you think you've had the last word, James, but we actually have this week also a comment from Vic from Nottingham who had asked us about the examples that we're using on a couple of episodes. There's quite been a, quite a lot of NHS-related things where we think the improvements were. And I think we should be really clear that the examples that we've used, and we've used a couple today, the people who work in the NHS do an amazing job. Yeah. We've got endless respect for, for the work they do. The challenge that they face is the systems are designed and set up in certain ways to achieve certain things and often set up by politicians, civil servants or managers that are remote from actual patients and the work that's being done. It's those systems that get in people's ways. And of course, when something goes wrong in the NHS, it makes the newspapers so we hear about it. Whereas when it goes wrong in a bank, people just tend to clam up and no exactly anyhow thanks everyone for listening hope you've enjoyed today's episode next week we've got something slightly different we're going to be uh, discussing james's best-selling book managed by morons yeah that should be a nice short episode anyway have a good week cheers then if you'd like to find out more about how james and i can help your business then have a look at our website jobdonewell.com.